Welcome back to the podcast everyone, it's Nathan here, or welcome for the first time if this is your first episode you're listening to. So for those of you who don't know me, I have a real interest in the area of sleep. It's something that I became interested in when I was doing my doctoral research. I looked at sleep and trauma and I've had a personal interest in it over time, having experienced insomnia myself and overcoming that. And it's just, I think it's a fascinating area and one that is extremely important for health physical health and mental health and it's something that I believe that nurses and midwives should be given much more support around. In this episode I'm really excited to bring you a conversation which relates directly to this interest of mine in sleep. I speak to Despina Artini who's a psychologist who has conducted some research looking at ways to improve fatigue in night shift workers. So obviously sleepiness and fatigue is very much related to sleep because not having enough sleep can lead to fatigue and sleepiness and in this really fascinating conversation about her research we talk about the role of evening light exposure to help reduce fatigue in shift workers. Now we talk about the science a bit more in the episode but it really relates to night shifts basically mess up sleeping patterns because of having to rotate between working through the night when your body would normally be asleep and then sleeping during the day and then if you're rotating shifts having to switch that up every few days. So Despina's work that she has recently published looks directly at trying to manage the fatigue that is so common in shift workers at night and this has really massive implications for things like medical errors for example and people's performance at night but also their well-being as well which is something that we explore within this episode. So if you don't already follow us on social media, you can find us on Instagram. It's at underscore nurse wellbeing mission. You can find me on LinkedIn, Nathan Illman. Check out our website and look at our community that you can sign up for for free to get loads of resources and things related to what we discuss within this podcast. And if you like this podcast, then I'd be really grateful if you could leave us an honest review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this. This is going to be an amazing episode for anyone who is a night shift worker because of the practical steps that Despina outlines that you can try and for people who are supporting other people who work night shifts. Let's dive into the conversation right now. Welcome to the Nurse Wellbeing Mission podcast hosted by me, Nathan Illman. This is the place where nurse and midwife wellbeing are at the top of the agenda. Each episode aims to help nurses and midwives around the world flourish through informative, inspiring and practical content and conversations. Despina, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It would be great if you could just introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about uh, your background, why you're interested in studying fatigue and um, yeah, just a little bit about yourself. Yeah, of course. So my name is Espina. I'm a PhD student in clinical psychology here in Montreal. And um, I've been doing uh, research on uh, how to reduce fatigue in shift workers for maybe five, six years now. Um, And um, this is good timing because we're just um, publishing the findings of our latest RCT. So we can talk about that. I became interested in the topic because one of my colleagues, his mom is a nurse. 
well, he used to be a nurse and um, he would see his mom come back from night shifts tired all the time. And then he took the sleep class and he's like, and then when I, when we met um, um, with my colleague, Jay and, and Mary, this is the trio that does all the research. Uh, he was like, I have this idea. And then we're like, all right, <laughs> knowing nothing about the topic. And then like, five, six years later, we have like three papers. So it's, it's very funny to me, but, and in the meantime, also I started, I was, a, I became a shift worker myself. So, um, now I work, uh, I work in hospitals. I work in the emergency room as a crisis counselor. So I've done my fair share of night shifts and I work with nurses and doctors. So it all kind of came together as an orientation that makes sense for me. And uh, as part of this research, really, that our aim was just to take all this like hard science and try to translate as much as possible into actionable things that people can do. Um, So at we also came up with fatigue workshops, trying to make um, our um, our suggestions as tangible as possible. Because if there's anything that we know is that people in healthcare don't have time, so we can't we can't just waste it. We, <laughs> we're going to give information; it has to be good and it has to be actionable. So that's kind of the framework that that I've worked in for the past couple of years. Fantastic. Well, we're certainly going to, or I'm certainly going to try and draw some of that, that practical information from you in this in this conversation. I think people listening will be really, uh, really pleased to hear that. So should we just start by talking about the kind of the problem at hand? So what is, what, what is the difficulty with, with fatigue? What kind of problems does it cause in night shift workers? And why is it something worth studying in the first place? Yeah, of course. So, um, so, Obviously, I think anybody who's worked a night shift can say that fatigue is a problem and it's a well-documented one. And uh, essentially working night shifts leads to insomnia, uh, leads to other types of sleep problems and just can affect different spheres of your life, can affect your digestion in the long term. It can have effects on um your metabolism, it can increase risks of cancer, a, a whole host of things that are backed up by research to, to various degrees. Um, so it can have these effects. It doesn't mean that it necessarily has them on you, which is something that we do try to emphasize. The point is also not to necessarily just scare people, but it is a problem. Um, and a lot of people who work night shifts because um, it has very specific effects on their bodies um, should, I think we believe that they should get trained on like, what can they do to mitigate these effects? And usually they're not. So like it, it was surprisingly hard to find evidence on who's getting trained. Like we know, for instance, that in aviation, like they're good with fatigue, like they track it, they realize that there are like consequences associated with it and they're serious about it. In healthcare, we don't see the same type of monitoring, even though we know that um, errors increase at night. We know that uh, tired nurses um, just don't do as well. And, you know, and we also know that it's a job with a lot of turnover and fatigue could be a factor that contributes to that stuff. So um, basically what we're trying to address with this research is the lack of training available. Um, because there are things that can be done, 
of course they're not perfect and we don't have like a perfect science on like, do this, do that. Um, you can't take a magical pill, but there are things that you can do that combined can increase your, your well-being and reduce that fatigue and just make you just generally better at working at night. I really like the fact that behind this, again, it's this sort of this practical application, right? It's It sounds like you're being driven not just by, oh, this is just something that could be interesting to to research, but it's it's really looking at, you know, how can we address this gap in a particular industry, healthcare, of, of sort of or closing the gap and and providing tools for people to, to actually use to improve their well-being and, um, and their performance as well, I guess. Yeah. So should we, it's probably helpful, I guess, if we just talk a little bit, don't have to go into a huge amount of detail, but should we just talk a little bit about sleep and how sleep works and why night shifts are sort of particularly difficult with perhaps like rotating night shifts and that sort of thing? Can yeah. you just give us a little bit of an overview of that? Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> everybody knows how sleep works, but here, <laughs> here are the, some of the mechanisms that make it harder to sleep, basically, um, a, when you work shifts. So the idea is that we all have circadian rhythms. So circadian rhythms is essentially what we commonly call the biological, uh, we call the, like the biological clock. So we have the, we all have this biological clock that makes it so that we're more alert during the day and that we are tend to be more sleepy, um, at night. Um, and this has evolved over, I mean, this is most animals have these and uh it has evolved over time so we're used to being on this like 24 hour slightly longer cycle um and the thing is that when you work shifts uh when you work day shifts that's fine because your your body is more most awake most alert most functional during the day and then it at night it performs its other functions right you rest you regenerate you whatever it happens at cellular levels uh but uh so but the, the problem is when you work night shifts is that that flips you're then expected to suddenly be awake and competent and be responsible for people's lives when your entire biology is telling you to sleep and then the contrary, like you leave work, there's sunlight and like you see people, you know, going to work and the social pressure and like the biological pressure is for you to keep going when we're supposed to be doing is like starting to sleep. So this flip here is what makes it really hard to sleep after night shifts. And then also basically what you've done a series of night shifts a lot of the time your body will start slowly shifting its rhythm back to uh to like accommodate to that so which is um and then all of a sudden you're used to after a couple of night shifts you wake up you go to bed normally at 3 a.m but then whoop, you have to start waking up at 7 a.m again because here come your day shifts uh so that's another form of what we call a circadian misalignment when your body doesn't your body's biology doesn't work with the demands of the environment so all of this jumping back and forth is what makes it really hard to get good quality sleep yeah and i, I think it's really important to think about that evolutionary side of things isn't it because it's essentially what it's, it's unnatural isn't it, it it's you're pushing against like millions of years of evolution because our bodies aligned are aligned to 
light, are they? External light, the sun. That is that is how mammals, how we've how we've evolved is to to be sort of in sync with the rising and setting of the sun, and and that's how, how our functions work. So especially rotating night and day shifts, it's very difficult, isn't it, for the brain and then the body to to sort of work against that basically and to try and to try and adapt. Yeah, exactly. Because if let's say you just work nights, you could, if your social life um, permits it, try to adapt to be more of a night person. But if you're constantly rotating, uh, you, you don't have that luxury, right? You have to kind of learn how to adapt to both. I think something that's uh, is interesting as well to sort of note is even when people work, if they're working just night shifts and they sort of feel like feel like they've adapted to a certain extent with the way they sleep, like you mentioned the the sort of functions that our body has during nighttime, like your body is still trying to do those nighttime functions even if you've you think you flipped your sleep cycle right, so your body still isn't metabolizing in the same way all that kind of cellular growth and repair and stuff um so even though you think that you yeah you've kind of flipped over and you might have optimized things by sleeping during the day and working at night there's still stuff going on that is is essentially could be damaging your body in some way so let's talk about your research so you did a pilot study um you've done a review article and you've just you've just followed it up with this great a randomized control trial. So do you want to talk us through the, the sort of the, the premise of the study and the intervention and and just tell us about yeah the findings. That'd be really, really great. Yeah, of course. So um we started uh with the question of how can we make a feasible intervention for nurses to help them adapt to night shifts. And what adapt to night shifts we mean to shift their body clock later. So they're uh, more alert later during the day. And so then they, they're more sleepy in the morning when they need to sleep. Um, and like we've mentioned from an evolutionary perspective, the, the most potent, when the most potent way um, to achieve those shifts is by controlling people's light exposure. So essentially you give them bright light at a certain time and it arguably um, as important, you get them to avoid light at other times. So usually what happens in lab studies is that you get people, so you'd get people get this light exposure that is timed uh, to their body clock late at night. That's usually where um, we see the most potent effects. Um, and um, and then they avoid light in the morning and the, with that technique, you see that their body clock will shift. The, the issue with giving uh, people light at night um, during the night is that they're at work, right? And um, that means that a lot of the um, conditions are out of their hands. Maybe they don't have institutional approval to use light at night. So, or like to have or have a light box. Maybe they just don't even have um, a space where they can use a light box. Maybe like using a light box on the unit will disturb patients or something. So like it adds this element that makes it not feasible. And then the other issue is also that light exposure is quite time sensitive. So the effect of the light can flip depending on when you give it. So what you, what the way that it works is that you have what's called the body temperature minimum. And that's the time uh, during the day where you're 
where body temperature is at its lowest. So if you've ever pulled an all-nighter and then you start getting the shivers between like 3 to 4 a.m., that's that's where you have your lowest body temperature. Um, so if you give light before that, then that will shift your body clock later, which we call a phase delay, which is what we would want with to adapt to a night shift. And then if you give the light after that body temperature minimum, it produces the opposite effect, which means that um, you have to be careful when you give it. And sometimes if you're giving it at night and you don't know exactly when you're giving it, you could actually be messing yourself up a little bit more. Like you're trying to delay, but then you actually advance and then you're worse off than when you started. So these are the two main constraints when it comes to some of the big ones, when it comes to light exposure. So we wanted to make it more feasible by trying to see, can we give it to people before they actually go to work? Uh, so that way it's in their control. So we gave uh, 33 nurses working rotating shifts at, at uh, two hospitals in Montreal. We gave them light boxes. Um, I can show you the light box if you want. I was actually thinking about this. I was thinking, yeah. oh, should I get a picture up on Amazon or something? There you and... go. This is the light box. I just, a disclosure, I use one every, I use the light box every morning just for a seasonal effect <laughs> of effect. Great. Well, that's, that's, another, that's another topic, isn't it? We, we'll have to yeah. have a podcast on that. And um, yeah, so we gave them a light box, exactly this model. And then we told them to get 40 minutes of bright light, bright light exposure as late as possible before they go to work. And that usually happened, usually their shift started at 7 or 7.30, so it would be slightly before that. And then we also told them to avoid light in the morning by wearing sunglasses. Because if you also get light in the morning, that taps into that phase advancing portion of um, of your biological clock, so then it undoes whatever you did in the evening. So the sunglasses are very important. So that's because so that's, it's after the minimum body temperature exactly the light, the light and even a little bit of light in the morning it triggers that thing and it, it yeah. sort of like pushes things out and that's not what you want that's not what you want um with some caveats <laughs> there are always caveats when you talk about <laughs> circadian rhythms uh but that's the, the that's the general idea of the timing of the light and then we added some other things that we've seen in other studies help. So we also told people, because the idea is you want to maximize the amount of time that you sleep because you will have some sort of sleep debt. So we told people to sleep in in the morning on the day of their first night shift to try to nap in the evening if they can. Um, and, um, and when they sleep, to sleep in a dark environment. Because again, when you sleep during the day, you get more ambient light. So you need to make sure that uh, there is no light. So it, cause it can also affect your circadian rhythms and it just generally your quality of sleep. If you sleep, um, if you don't sleep in a dark environment, so we gave them a sleep mask. Um, so that was the intervention and people followed it in the pilot study. They followed it for, a, I think two to five consecutive shifts, depending on their, um, depending on their, work schedules, which varied quite a bit because it was a field study. And then they did it for twice as long during the second study, during the randomized control trial, uh, where we did two periods of them using it. And then, so in the first study, we compared it, we compared them following the intervention versus not following the intervention. And we did find that the intervention reduced fatigue and errors. Um, and it also um, led to longer sleep. And we also saw a bit of an increase in positive mood. 
Um, so that was, um, and this is from 50 minutes of bright light exposure before the shift, uh, which is quite nice because it's very different from like three hours of light exposure from like one to three, <laughs> which yeah. is usually, it's something you'd see in like studies uh, in lab studies. Um, and the, so then we wanted to replicate these findings. Um, so we ran a randomized control trial. And then in the, what we did here is we wanted to have an active control. So an active control is also a control that does things. So it controls for people's expectations because in the sense, everybody would expect to improve. So then we gave them a intervention that leads to better alertness during the night, but doesn't affect circadian rhythm. So we used food in this case. Um, so we told people to eat, how to eat in order to maximize their alertness. So eat before going to work. And if you're going to eat during the night, try to eat low protein meals um, because those are harder to digest and they can slow you down. Um, so, and what we saw here is that, uh, again, we replicated that, um, there was a, f a positive effect for errors. So, and it's, what I find quite impressive is that, so in the first study errors were reduced by, I believe 53% or something like that. And this one by 56. So that's over 50%, right? Like it's quite an impressive drop in the error rate. And then we also saw that, um, Intervent the intervention reduced fatigue, um, and uh, there was also a small increase in sleep duration and mood. Uh, but those were were quite small. But generally, the overall effect is quite positive. Uh, and we also saw positive effects from the control intervention um, on their on their uh, fatigue. So that um, so overall, we got quite uh, positive findings from an intervention that's relatively non-invasive. It does require people to come in. So they have to get the light exposure uh, before every night shift. They have to wear their sunglasses in the morning. They have to pay attention to their sleep, but it's it's quite feasible and people rated it as quite feasible um, in the study themselves. And nurses said that they'd be willing to implement it in the long term. That's amazing. I mean, you know, that, that figure, 56 and 53% of reduction in errors. Is, did I get that right? Yes. Yeah. I, I'm wondering if that percentage is all right. Yeah, well, like sure, that, that seems to be right. Very close. Plus yeah. minus 1%. Yeah, I mean, yeah. From, a, from an organizational perspective and just a public health perspective, I mean, it's incredible, isn't it? Of course, they're, they're self-perceived errors, aren't they? But still, it's... It, it, that's really impressive and there's this sort of like double whammy effect isn't it that it, individually for nurses it helps reduce fatigue but then if they're actually reducing errors that's got to be a nicer shift right if you feel like you're just yeah. performing okay, better. So i double checked the numbers it's actually 67 percent uh error drop. yeah so <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it's quite, it's honestly, it's quite impressive. We're still, I mean, and we probably wouldn't have believed it if we didn't replicate it. Yes. Well, that's the big deal. That's, you're, that's you're the work. big deal too. Yeah. Is that it was just a fluke. So I, I want to just go back to the protocol because I know people listening to this will be sort of like thinking, right, after I've listened to this, what can I do? Like, I want to, I want to stop listening to this. And tonight I want to try this out. So 
let's just talk about some of the practicality. So I know you spoke about the light box. Um, mm -hmm. What? Because light boxes differ in the amount of the intensity of their light, don't they? So there's a measure called lux, which yes. is yes, which which is a. Would you want to just tell us a little bit about that and and what what you'd recommend based on what you used in your study? Yeah. So in terms of lux, um, so basically the recommendation is anything above a thousand lux should work. Uh, I think we used five thousand in our study. Uh, the thing about lux is that they they vary with distance. So what you want to get is if you want to get <laughs> a light box, is uh, something that nominally emits uh, ten thousand lux of wide spectrum light. And that has a UV filter. Usually they all do. Um, but I'm just, these are usually the considerations. And they can be quite affordable. You can get nicer models. You can also get, I, I've seen them sold um, at gross, um, drugstore. I'm trying to not be Canada specific. <laughs> 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 what, what translates here? <laughs> I don't want to just say Amazon, but you can buy one on Amazon if you want. Yeah. 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 Online retailers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Your friendly online retailer. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're, they're really widely available now, aren't they? I think it's, I think because of the, uh, the research, especially that's been done around seasonal affective disorder as well. I think that has made, they sort of proliferated, haven't they, in the past sort of 10 years or something. Yeah. And the technology it's become a lot cheaper to buy. So it really is, uh, a, an affordable sort of solution and, and I, I mean i suppose again like we said maybe do another podcast for this but yeah if, if you're someone who does uh suffer from sort of mood uh, low mood in the in the winter as well they can they can be helpful for that so and something i wanted to ask actually so the intensity is important the ten thousand luck so you know let's pretend i'm a nurse i put it on i set a timer 45 minutes before i go on shift if you're in the room so how did what did you recommend to the nurses about yeah, so whether they sat in front be, of it or? Yeah, we tell people for it to be at arm's length. You don't have to look directly at it because it's honestly it's quite bright. Wait, I'll I'll demonstrate. See, it, it's like it's quite bright. <laughs> for like anyone it, who's it was... listening listening to this, Despina has just suddenly been spotlit and is lit up. <laughs> exactly. So I yeah. don't use it for Zoom meetings. Yeah. So it's quite bright. Um, so you can keep it at arm's length and uh, you don't have to look directly at it. I I usually, I mean, I, when I just use it for, because it does have an acute effect where it's alerting. So I use it in the morning usually. Um, so you can, I use it as I work, as I'm on the computer, as I eat breakfast. I can even put on my makeup. You can do whatever you need to do when you get ready and use it. You don't have to just stare at it. Um, people do all kinds of things. Yeah. Okay, that's good. I mean, that's that's less restrictive, isn't it? Because I think I can imagine some people being put off by thinking, right, so I've just got to sit in front of a light for 40 minutes before my shift. Um, that, that probably wouldn't be too attractive uh, an option for a lot of people. No, exactly. And you can also, like, if you want, you can flick it on for longer and you can just go back and forth and do whatever you need to do. It doesn't necessarily have to be consecutive. Yep. Yeah. And then the sunglasses, so after the shift yes do you have any recommendations not not for a brand necessarily but uh, for a particular style or so the idea is you want uh so there are like multiple schools of thought here <laughs> it's one of the reasons that i like this research it really gets into the nitty-gritty it mm. satisfies some like obsessional part of myself yeah 
like ideally you would get um blue blocking um sunglasses which are like orange tinted i personally find them horrendous <laughs> but if you're the type that doesn't mind you can get those uh, you can also just get darker sunglasses they 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 also they also work like in our study we just literally told nurses to bring their own sunglasses and we just checked that they're dark so like don't go for like Britney Spears in the early 2000s try to go for like a darker shade yeah um, and it, it should be fine the caveat there though is that so the benefit of light in the morning is that is alerting right so if you've just finished a night shift and we know that shift workers are at greater risk for car accidents. Um, so if you're driving home and you don't feel alert, don't wear the sunglasses. Um, like you don't want, it's not like, sure, you might not shift your circadian rhythms, but also you won't get into a car accident, right? Um, so that's the caveat with wearing the sunglasses in the morning. If you're feeling sleepy, don't, don't contribute to that sleepiness. I think that's a really yeah. great, a great additional piece of safety advice. Exactly. And on the contrary, if you're feeling sleepy in the morning and you're about to drive home, I'm going to take back all of my advice and say that you do get bright light. So if you can like walk around a little bit for five minutes or something in the, in like sunlight to wake up, let it wake you up a little bit and then drive. Um, like there is one study where they use bright light and they saw that. In the lab study, obviously, it increased like driving performance after night shift. Right. Um, you can also use it in that way as well. Yeah. Great. So I think it'd be useful actually just to ask you a little bit because I know you do workshops and you, you mentioned at the beginning, didn't you? About you talk about some other general recommendations you've delivered this to nurses and other healthcare professionals. Are there some other kind of kind of quick little recommendations that you, you'd like to mention as well that can be helpful for either fatigue or for, for sleep? Yeah, of course. Um, so if we're just going to, if we're going to talk about the more uh, circadian stuff, um, it's, it's good to know that if you're going to nap in the afternoon, usually it's uh, easiest to nap between like 2 and 6 p.m. roughly, because that's when you have a, a dip in alertness. And again, consistent with um, consistent with our recommendations for uh, the control group, like if you want to maximize your alertness while you work, do try to get your proper dinner before you go to your night shift, and then try to if you're if you're hungry, try to snack, try to have healthy snacks with you at work, and then have a low protein breakfast in the morning, like oatmeal and a banana or something like that. That's going to help, and that's also going to help with presumably with your sleep quality. And also we know that people at night when they're more tired, they tend to just eat more junk. Mm. So if you prepare your snacks in advance and all of those things, it's better for your alertness in the moment, but it's probably also better for your health in the long run. And one, one of my favorites is about drinking water. Um, because basically if you're dehydrated, um, that can lead to uh, cognitive impairments. And by the time that you're sleepy, it's sleepy. By the time that you're thirsty, uh, you're already dehydrated. So one of the ways to make sure that you maintain your alertness throughout the night is to to drink as a water um, as much as possible. Um, pro proactively. Proactively. So like when we want to be corny in our workshops, we just say to have a drinking buddy 
So like, and you turn it into a great drinking game that like every time I drink water, you drink water and it just goes on. Uh, Yeah, exactly. So there, and then, and then the other joke that I like to make because I'm full of myself, but it's very true is that like, so the things that are quite alerting, uh, um, if you're very sleepy are to like physical activity and also to just generally be engaged in what you're doing. So there's nothing more engaging than like socializing and gossiping. So I'm saying that if you're ever like quite really tired at the end of your rope, just try to walk around with a colleague and like gossip and that will, you know, that will keep you awake. And obviously you can nap if you're sleepy. And then if you nap, try like even just a 10 minute nap can be beneficial. Um, if you nap for, let's say 30 minutes, uh, then you're likely to have sleep inertia. So that part of that, like feeling of grogginess after you nap. So if you can, I mean, a lot of the times it's not possible to, but if you can try to plan for an extra like 15 minutes after your nap, so that, so that when you wake up, you have time to get over the, the grogginess. Um, cause if not, you, it is possible that errors can increase. And, um, Let's see what else could be interesting. Yeah. And then there are the obvious ones, but they're just good to keep in mind that if you you can't like, there's nothing wrong with drinking coffee, but keep in mind that caffeine has a pretty long half-life. So, I mean, the recommendation varies. We say try not to drink it at least three hours before bed. Some people say six hours before bed. And I mean, we're all people here, do whatever you can, but like ideally don't drink it too close to bed because then it can impact your sleep so it you get into these like negative feedback loops um yeah so these are some of the some of the stuff that uh and then there's all the the obviously the sleep hygiene stuff uh which people know but some of them are easy are interesting to me for instance um just the importance of having some sort of way to block noise during the during the day because a lot of people have families and they'll have like children screaming downstairs and they're trying to sleep right and even if you're sleeping your brain does pick up on like noise Mm. and it can affect like the quality of your sleep so something like a noise machine or a fan or can really can really uh can really make a difference yeah yeah that's the sleep environment is so important isn't it and i think there's with most people there's little things that can be done to optimize it even more um like just sort of jumping on what you just said there white noise machines are good and a, and a sort of way of blocking out some external noise that can be really helpful. And, you know, you mentioned about darkness as well. I think it's getting good blackout blinds or curtains is is a yeah. really good investment, isn't it? Because as we've been talking about this whole episode, like light has such a powerful effect on the brain. So even when your eyes are closed or whatever, it's still affecting your brain because yeah. it's through your eyelids, isn't it? Basically, there's, there's still sensors there. And that also includes our beloved phones, right? Mm. Um, try, I mean, again, it's hard because people de-stress in different ways, right? You can tell one person avoid light before you go to bed, but then they're like, but I watch my Netflix show and that's why I de-stress after like a long day, at the ho- a long night at the hospital. So again, do whatever works for you. But if you're going to use your phone, um, you can turn down your brightness, right? Those are things that you know, so you don't have to not use it at all, but just make sure that you're not 100% brightness, that it can also make a difference. Yeah, 
Well, thanks so much for all of those really helpful practical uh, points. I'll make sure that in the show notes for this episode, we have all of those written, listed down so people can take a look at them. Uh, I'm really excited to see where the, the light exposure intervention goes. Have you? I can't remember whether you told me before, have you, have you got another study you're working on with, with that or do you know anyone else who is working on that? So we don't have anything in the pipe right now. Um, we're still excited about this study. Yeah. Uh, but what basically where we're going forward is, so when we are going to, so right now the RCT is in review and when we publish, the paper is going to be published, we also want to publish our website, which does have basically, can you, you, which you'll be, people will be able to use to generate their own like light schedules based on their, their work times and also tips that I've mentioned and we're with all the references and the science stuff that we're going to keep up to date. And we're also going to keep uh, giving workshops. So once the study is launched, uh, the study, the once the um, website is launched, I'll make sure to let you get it and then you can share it with people. Yeah, that'll be really helpful. I'm, I'm sure people will be reaching out to, to get that. Definitely. Well, Despina, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for sharing the results of your study and all your other practical wisdom. Congratulations with the study. And and I know you're sort of getting it published at the moment. So I wish you the best of luck with that. Thank you. And thanks for having me. I am always happy to talk about how to reduce fatigue. And I personally, it's one of the fun things for me is to keep up with the literature and figure out what is the newest thing, (laughs) the newest, most efficacious thing. So I never have anything else i'll let you know yeah but well maybe you can come back on sometime and, and tell us a bit more about what's what's going on in the the world the research world next year or something <laughs> thank you